Welcome, everybody, to Mormons on Mushrooms. Uh, just a reminder that this is a storytelling podcast where we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a more fulfilling life. A lot of times on the podcast, we discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health top priority. Uh, lastly, the opinions offered by our guests don't necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Well, Mike, the first question I have before we even start talking is, uh, well, I mean, I guess we're talking, but talking about the episode and about Heather. Are you a, do you consider yourself a World Cup uh, man? Are you a, are you a, are you a student of the game or are you a footballer over a soccer person? What, what do you? Well, judging from the fact, the fact that we just wrapped up a World Cup and I probably watched maybe 20 minutes of any of it. <laughs> Although I heard last yesterday's game was fantastic. It was pretty incredible. If you, if you like, if you truncated it into the like six minutes that it took to score the, the six goals that were scored and yeah. then the penalty kicks like solid, solid six minutes of watching something like I could, I, I could get down for the YouTube video that was like six minutes. You saw everything that happened in the World Cup finale. But other than that, you just have to sit there and watch. It, to me, soccer looks like guys warming up to play soccer. That's what, like, the game of <laughs> soccer looks like guys just sort of like goofing around, warming up, like, oh, I'm going to kick it over there to my buddy over there. No, it's a little round robin, kick it over here. Like, I'm like, are you guys going to do, like, do something? I, mean, and I know there's a lot that. of soccer fans out there that are like, oh, it's the beautiful sport. And everybody's going on there. Okay, cool. I get it. It's amazing. Everybody plays it. It's global sport. It's the best sport in the world. Everyone loves soccer. I'm just saying that soccer can get really fucking boring. Well, so the, the game that I watched the most of was, I think, didn't the U.S. have like a 0-0 draw in one of their games? Yeah, like against England or something? I think I think it was 0-0. So I watched, it was like, not, yeah, nothing nothing happened. Um you know, I, but I get what you mean. It looks like they're practicing out there, but that, maybe that's because they make it look so easy. Maybe it's because yeah, effortless. effortless. The, the field is gigantic. And so you can't like, of course, it's going to seem in slow motion in a way, because like yeah. if you condense it onto like a basketball court, people are zipping and zagging and doing all their thing. Cause it's like on this small scale and you zoom that out and it's like, they're swimming in this ocean <laughs> almost. Right. Dude, honestly, like I can't, I'll bet we get some hate for me hating on, the beautiful game like football well if people love it i'm not gonna like i, hope I love that people love it i love it when all my homies yeah. are like telling me all the world cup stuff i'm like yes please tell me more but no for me i can't get down that's what i want to say i love that they love it because i want to love it i even lived Damn. in brazil for two years on my mission and so many so many missionaries come back from these foreign countries yeah in love with soccer and I wish I could, I, I, I want to, it's like the, leading up to world cup. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to watch it this year. And like I said, I watched a lot of the U S England game and it's like, ah, I just, I wish I, I wish I loved it. I want to it's, love it. You're, 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 you're nailing it for me. It, I am desperately trying to catch the fever. I'm desperate. I, I really, really want to be like a big old, like I want to have a team that I cheer for MLS, like here in the States. I want to have a, 
uh, Euro League person or team that I cheer for. I want to have all of the all of the things. I want to have teams that I I know I want to know soccer. Like I want to, I want to have a scarf. You know, I want to have like a scarf that's like a cool ass like soccer scarf. I, I want to sing along to the people. I want to like, sing those songs. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can see how you, if you're at a game and you're in the middle of everyone singing and chanting, oh, that would be fun. Who cares what's happening on the field? <laughs> but no wonder they have time to come up with like eight verses to songs because nothing's happening on the field. It's right. like, you can't come up with, you ain't coming up with no eight verses to a song during an NBA game. There's too much shit going on. <laughs> so you got to pay attention. You got to pay attention, homeboy. Like you can't be, you can't be like writing lyrics like to ballads that people are, everybody's going to sing along to because people are watching this fucking gameplay, boy. You got to keep watching. No, the best thing you can do is, is manage to chat defense and try to get on the same beat. Defense. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the amount of brain power that you can expel at an NBA game is like, defense, (laughs) like, like a bunch of cave people. Like we're just yelling defense over and over again, because listen, all of our attention is like on, Wow, this moving fast and there's scoring happening and people are like poetry in motion and it's happening. Whereas in soccer, you're like, hey, guys, here in the uh, fourth verse of this song, we need something that rhymes with dowry. Can anybody think of something that rhymes with dowry? And it's like, what the fuck? Watch the game, dipshit. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Um, You know what else I wish I loved or I hope to love more one day? What? (laughs) Ibogaine. Oh man. Was that too hard of a pivot right there? But no, I think that was a perfect (laughs) pivot, but you're because man, so, okay. We're going to talk in this episode coming up. We're talking to Heather about Ibogaine. Yeah. And Mike, like after having chatted with Heather for a couple hours, do you want to do Ibogaine more or less now? Less. Same Uh, less. Like I, I, holy shit. Sounds like a nightmare. I'm, I love it. It's the same thing. It, it's the soccer of psychedelics. I think where it's like, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad she loved it. Right. <laughs> and I'm happy for her. And I wish I could love it as much as she loved it, but I don't know if I could ever get there. <laughs> oh, that is so good. The soccer of psychedelics, dude. <laughs> I'm okay. Listen, same. I'm, it's actually funny. I can't believe that you made that transition. I can't believe how good that was because like really, there are a lot of similarities where I did. I desperately want to want to do Ibogaine. Yeah. I want that badge. Like I want, like, you know what I mean? That badge of like, I did Ibogaine. Like, I think that's rare air and people would be like, oh damn, you did Ibogaine. You're crazy. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, I done it all, baby. Like I want to <laughs> be that guy, you know? I went through hell and back. And yeah. I mean, she talks about going through hell and back in this episode. Literally, she talks about it and she's awesome. I mean, first of all, buckle up, folks. This is one of a, this is going to be such a fun conversation. She's great. And I want to be her. I want to be more of like a guy who's done Ibogaine. (laughs) But in order to be a guy who's done Ibogaine, I have to do Ibogaine. You know, just like in order to be a person who loves soccer, I have to love soccer. And it's like, well, I can want in one hand is shit in the other and see which one fills up fastest, but it's, it's not going to be the one about doing eyeball gain. I could tell you that much. <laughs> oh man. But this episode, I mean, the way she talks about it, her experiences there. And then when we got, uh, we get into the, uh, homeop, home, home, homeopathy, <laughs> homeopathy. Why, why do I have a hard time saying that word? I do too. I just took a shot in the dark just now. I, I think, think you did. I think um, I nailed it. 
she explains it in such a way that um, just really makes me rethink um, that whole, whole field. And yeah. Yeah. Makes it a lot less like your weird, like, you know, your, 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 your friend's weird aunt who lives in Arizona. (laughs) You know that for me, homeopathic, (laughs) homeopathic stuff has always been my buddy's crazy aunt who lives in Arizona that when every time we'd go down and visit her, she's like having me do like hold my hands out and bounce on one leg and do like magnets. It's true. Well, and you get those stories about that crazy aunt who like didn't let their son go to the hospital, yes. even though it's like, yeah, needed to go to the hospital. And, but we get into all that in this episode, which is yeah. great, but we met Heather at the solstice instantly fell in love with her. You guys are going to fall in love with her too. So she's a transformation coach, author, public speaker, like uh, we were talking about, she does homeopathy. Um, we talked about psychedelics. She's just amazing. We'll put her, her full bio and links in the show notes. Um, I really think people will want to work with her after this. I think so too. Yeah, she's she's absolutely radical. So uh, enjoy everybody. I guess, yeah. do we have any plugs? We, I think we're plugging. Right now, we, just more happy holidays kind of stuff. I mean, we'll, we'll get into plugs in the new year and we'll do one more episode with us to wrap up this year and you know it might come out after christmas but um it's gonna be a great great episode so yeah you like the eyebrow move? i love it i wish people, people could see your eyebrows bouncing and jiggling right now that's just that i got that from my grandpa he does that like crazy okay. all right <laughs> enjoy right. the episode yeah. everybody i love you mike love you bye you know what i i take back what i was saying like I'm actually okay recording and talking about this because if I do kind of like have a a, a, a slide or whatever, like I want people to hear about it, know about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or if I don't, uh, also I want people to hear and know about that. So I take back what I said about not wanting to record the part about being addicted to nicotine. Yeah. I told a whole great story before we started hitting record, but you know, people, people can draw their own conclusions. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because we started this conversation talking about Ibogaine. And it's really touted as like, people use Ibogaine and they never go back. And actually, that's not what the research says. And that's not actually what's happening with people who are addicted, especially to opiates, but addicted to any number of substances and looking to Ibogaine for help in their recovery and their healing. When you say they never go back, never go back to what they say, you use Ibogaine and they never go back to their... To to their substance of of preference. And it's, and it's, it's kind of overplayed. Right. And, and I'm with you, Doug, I was really skeptical, especially around opiates. I mean, I have a history working in social work with opiate addicts. And so I've seen people try and try again to recover from these substances and they may find any number of paths back to that substance or some form of an opiate. And actually Ibogaine, like a lot of other things, is a tool. It's a tool in the toolkit. Now, it is a very powerful tool and it is the only tool at present that has the ability to repair opioid receptors in the brain, period. That makes it very relevant for any conversation about opiate addiction, but The prognosis for an individual has so much to do with their support system, their motivation, their willingness to commit to integration, and what their life looks like after Ibogaine, or how many times they return to the Ibogaine as part of their treatment. So I appreciate what you said, Doug, about enough with this one and done. And, you know, some people do have incredible healing experiences. They really do, whether it's with meditation or 
Reiki or natural medicine or psychedelics, there will always be a small percentage of people that have these remarkable stories. Mm. And I think it's, I feel like when I'm talking about the power of psychedelics and homeopathy, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, I always come back to the reality. Let's, let's be realistic and let's talk about what these tools mean in the landscape of being human and how we each choose as individuals to proceed in our own journey of how we want to show up and be human. Oh man. And that folks is the podcast. I mean, we'll probably do some introductions, but like, I can't wait to hear it. Cause all I, I I'm so fascinated by Abigail. It's the substance that I'm terrified to ever mm-hmm. do. I mean, I, I, I imagine one day I will do it mm-hmm. because that's just what who I am. <laughs> I think <laughs> like I want to try everything. <laughs> yes. Um, but can we talk about that experience? Yeah. 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 And I, I I will share a little bit about my intro to Ibogaine. So the first psychedelic that I ever did was 5-MeO DMT. I had a friend who was big in the psychedelic space and was like, hey, you got to try these things. Well, and that was, was your first one. Yeah. She was promoting <laughs> trying MDMA. She was promoting trying psilocybin. And I was like, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm good. I've done a lot of work on myself. Like that's, it was recreational in my mind. Like it just didn't have a lot of interest to me. Mm-hmm. And then one day she was talking about five MEO DMT and, and she said, it's sort of like, you know, a near death experience. And I was like, I'm in. And she said, really? <laughs> and I said, yeah, let's go. How do we, how do we do that? And so uh, we got on a plane and, and we went to a place where we could do that with someone that was a trusted referred provider. And while we were getting ready Someone was talking, she was talking about Iboga. And I said, what is that? And she said, oh, it's the South African root bark and it's 36 hours and it's a Rolodex of all your trauma and it's absolute hell. But then after you're done, you feel really good and and stuff heals and it doesn't come back. And I said, that is my medicine. And she looked at me and she said, you're insane. Yeah, I'm also adding to that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I just said, I know I need that medicine. And it was really, I think, a curiosity at the time. And also, I mean, this is dialing back to when I was first getting into psychedelics, had a story that I was a person who carried a lot of trauma. And so I was curious about what a medicine that really puts your trauma right in front of you in a different way would do for me. Um, so I've been sort of having my feelers out for, for Ibogaine or Iboga for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who works through the VATS program with a clinic in Mexico. And she, with an Ibogaine clinic, and she said, we have an opportunity to go down there and work with Ibogaine. Ibogaine is one of the 12 alkaloids in the Iboga root. So Iboga is an organic root bark substance that grows in Central and South Africa. Ibogaine is a semi-synthesized alkaloid. So it's the most powerful alkaloid in the Iboga. Um, It's more sustainable. It's also a more reliable experience because Iboga is natural And because your body has to be able to keep down the root bark in order to create an experience, um, it tends to be less predictable in terms Mm -hmm. of what experience you will have. It can be more multifaceted because it does have all 12 alkaloids. Uh, The Ibogaine, though, is the most powerful. So, Heather, we'll we'll, we'll do a whole introduction and stuff (laughs) like that, but I'm just going to just dive right in. So everything that anybody I've talked to about Ibogaine, anything I've read about it. It, like the 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 first thing that comes up is like, okay, 36 to 40 hours of like paralysis, like full-blown, like you can't, 
like it's a like every 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 story I've heard about it is like kind of what you're saying. Like, my God, I'm so glad, and it just like was the most beautiful experience. And I came face to face with stuff, and I and I and I and I kind of tackled some hard things, some trauma. But also the during is like this night, like this hellscape kind of thing, like this yes. nightmare. Yeah. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. yeah sorry. I was just passing her a beer. <laughs> I didn't need it for a second. That's perfect. Thanks. Um, yeah. It, it's really interesting because here's the analogy that I give people. It's like I worked really hard to prep for this journey. You know, I did two months of straight physical training. Like I wanted my body to be as strong and clean, as healthy as it could be. I did the most searching and fearless personal moral inventory that I could do. I mean, I was journaling on stuff that was like, what if it brings up this secret? What if it brings up that? I was, I was getting as ready as I could for this medicine. And that is like saying I got ready for the baby because I bought the diapers and the changing table and the car seat. <laughs> and I learned how to, uh, you know, and I learned, I took the, the, the Lamaze class, Lamaze, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. You go, okay, yeah. I'm ready for the baby now. It's kind of like that. Like there is no way to prepare for this medicine beyond like what you can do because it's really not like anything that I've ever experienced in, in any of my experiences, psychedelic or otherwise. It is an um, an assault on the senses. It The way the medicine worked on me, and again, everybody's experience is different. Um, I do know that what I experienced is similar to a lot of what is in the literature from a many people experience kind of standpoint. Um, it, it took about an hour and a half to kick in. And it, it hit me all at once. So I began having auditory hallucinations, visual hallucinations, and I became ataxic at the same time. Ataxic that just like paralyzed? You can't. can't. So it's interesting because I was prepared for paralysis. Mm. What's amazing about ataxia is you can move. It feels awful. It is nauseating. That sounds worse. It, it is worse, right? Because you can move. You're like, oh, I can. Oh, God, I don't want to move because even so much as raising your hand can invigorate full systemic nausea. Um, and it's yeah. almost like I described it a little bit poetically, like a butterfly trying to break out of a steel cocoon because you just want to move. It's like this you just desire to move your body. But trying to do so is just this reverberation of agonizing visceral don't move and nausea. And the other thing is you can't overpower it. Your body is actually, your bones become like rubber. You lose muscle control. So it's not a matter of, oh, I just need to suck up the nausea and walk to the bathroom. It's no, I need two people to physically guide me and carry me to the restroom because I am not capable of bending my knees properly or holding my own body weight on my legs. And the ataxia progresses through the medicine. So in the beginning, it's there and it's present several hours in, I was probably 12 to 16 hours in. It got a lot worse. I wasn't. What able- the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and that's the duration part too. Is when people go, Oh, that's a really long one. Right. And I'm like, yeah. you know, I don't think length is what I would mention to people about this medicine because time yeah. is almost irrelevant because yeah. you've jumped off a cliff in, in, in this yeah. medicine. And I will tell you for me personally, I wasn't thinking about time. I wasn't like, how much longer do I have? It was, how do I get through this? Yeah. Which is a completely different 
You know, yeah. it's kind of like going into uh, ayahuasca or five amino DMT and, and people fast because you're like, oh, I'm going to be purging and I want to be clean. And, you know, and I, I made a comment uh, during lunch the day we were doing the medicine. I said, I'm not going to eat. I want to be clean going in. And one of the guys who had done it before who was there, he said, no, 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 you need your strength for this. And I was like, what the fuck am I getting myself <laughs> into? Yeah. And it was like that. It was, yeah. it, it was, you know, the auditory hallucinations were crazy. They were conflicting. Some of them were really confusing because I was hearing voices of people in the room saying and doing things that in a logical world would make perfect sense. Like I could hear my friend on the phone pacing back and forth. Mm-hmm. She she wasn't moving. She was laying next to me. But in my mind, I was like, what's going on with her? What, why is she walking around? Oh. It, it was like really distracting. And then hearing the sounds of... um there were, uh, there's a lot of indigenous energy in this medicine. A lot of people see indigenous people. I did see indigenous people. Um, you hear indigenous activities, whether it's music, whether it's conversation, whether it's tribal activity, that was part of the hallucination at the same time as hearing people that I knew that were in the room, just hanging around talking, but add to that, I was hearing a ruckus chorus of gut-wrenching vomit from everybody in the room. Although none of them were actually vomiting. Oh, what? So oh, shit, part really? of my part of my experience with the medicine was hearing everyone around. And this was part of being in hell. It's like, I'm in fucking hell. I mean, I remember sitting there going, this is hell because it was the worst feeling ever. I was helpless to help any of them. They were all just retching in agony, helpless, hopeless. And none of that was actually happening. Like so, this. so that what? So, I mean, there there is a purge, or is there not a purge that goes along with Ibogaine? Yeah, there's a there's a really powerful purge, mm. um, really powerful. And I will say, the person like, most people purge are everyone. Most people, not everyone. Okay. Um, and there is a purge of some form. So whether it's uh, north, south, or other body exits. Um, which is interesting, <laughs> not to be I graphic, love that. I know, but... <laughs> we never said that before. That's good. Yeah, there are, there are many portals <laughs> yeah. in the human body. Some yeah. are fun portals. Some every hey, every entrance can be an exit, and every exit it's, can be an entrance. <laughs> it's it's very true, and we learned this on this one. I will say, one of the people in my cohort broke the record for vomiting. She wow. vomited over fifty times um, in twenty four wow. hours. And wow. here's what's here's what's crazy stuff was coming up the entire time. So this medicine was cleaning her out. It was pulling up oh. things that were in her system. And she she coincidentally feels physically much better since that experience. So there was a there was a a, a value to that experience for her, although it was pretty awful for oh. her at the time. I did not end up throwing up, but I did have other um other orifice experiences that were really interesting uh during that medicine mm-hmm. yeah it was pretty, pretty incredible and and if anybody does have a strong stomach um it is on it is on my blog my I, it's called everything and it's a very long detailed account of my full experience so for anyone oh, who's interested and in, we'll link to it yeah, yeah. awesome awesome <laughs> i mean i want to i want to push pause and go read it right now like, <laughs> i am very interested yeah um, but speaking of the i mean what were some of the key moments i mean did you get memories did you get trauma memories did you yeah what what did you feel like were some of the key moments in it yeah was it was it worth it yeah yeah it was worth it it changed me profoundly and and some of the things that i learned i had so my experience had three major segments the first segment was straight up hell which i think was an introduction to the medicine it was you can interact with it Mm -hmm. so here's what's amazing about this medicine 
you are completely lucid the entire time. God damn. Is really? it amazing? I don't know if it's, it's amazing. It's, oh yeah. What, yeah. How it's, are we defining well, amazing? <laughs> it's amazing because you get to interact with the experience. And so uh, here I am yeah. hearing all these things mm. go on around me. And I say, say in my mind, you know, to the medicine, oh, you want me to ignore all this noise. I'm in the noise and you want me to ignore it and turn in. And all of a sudden, everything just got softer. I was like, ah, okay, I'm getting it now. And the visuals at one point were moving very fast. And I said, can you slow down? And so the visuals started moving so slowly, like a snail's pace. And I was like, oh, we have a sense of humor, do we? You can go medium. Like I can handle a little bit more. And so there's this dialogue that is unlike anything I've ever experienced Whoa. with medicine before. Well, now I know what you're what you're talking about because I feel like, I mean, it, psychology of Mike here, and I might be wrong, but the big ways we shift our lives is by having experiences and then becoming aware of those experiences, consciously aware, right? It's like one thing we go from experience to experience, but we're not ever learning anything consciously, like like nothing's sinking in or, or we're not learning a lesson of some sort. We keep just, we'll keep having those same experiences. Yes. Conversely, we can try to think through life through our brain and, but it's, that's a different type of knowing than an agnostic lived experience of something. And so sometimes in the medicine world, like you, we, you talked about 5-MeO-DMT, um, it's such a cool experience. It's a beautiful experience, but so hard to sometimes grasp back yes. into this reality. Like mm-hmm. you go somewhere else. And sometimes like the pr- practitioner I worked with said, try to bring one mantra back with you mm. because you're going to want to bring so much back. Yep. Try to bring one thing back. Mm. Sometimes that's all you can bring back and make consciously aware after all that experience. And same with, um, you know, mushrooms or ayahuasca. Sometimes it's so uh, what's the word in, ineffable mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah that you yeah. can't describe it and so you still have that experience with shit which shifted and changed you but i can see the value of being lucid mm-hmm. during that experience too so not only is it shifting and changing you but you're also being made consciously aware of it as well yeah and that's what's really cool and 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 being able to work with the medicine you know they said they said this sounds funny but you can actually swipe like it will give you options mm-hmm. do you want to work on this or this and you pick one and you can kind of mentally swipe left or swipe right. Oh, and, <laughs> and, and it will also, it will repeat itself. <laughs> I'm just you, picturing like, you know, like a dating app, you're just swiping right. left, 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 left. He's like, nope, nothing. Nope. nope. <laughs> just, just, I can't swipe left fast enough here. <laughs> well, yeah. And it won't give you that choice. Right. I mean, it repeated yeah. things that I wasn't getting. Mm. And it was like, you're going to, I mean, you know, it was really intelligent. It was really intelligent medicine. And, and the, the thing that I got the most, my, my intention going into the medicine, I kept it very simple. I said, help me release this feeling of unworthiness. I've my whole life had this sense of, I'm just not good enough. No matter what I did, I felt nervous, anxious, and unworthy. And I said, and, and help me feel worthy. And this medicine heard me. And, and it did that in a very profound way. And what it did it broke down my personality structures. So as much as I didn't need to any longer go through a Rolodex of my trauma, because I went in feeling like it was pretty, I'd done a lot of work already. The medicine kind of reflected that. And it was like, it would show me a couple of things like real quick. And then I was like, yeah, we don't really, we're not going to spend any time here. What we are going to spend some time on is this character flaw. And it would take a character flaw where like, I would let my intelligence trump my, my emotional well-being in a situation. And I'd get too much in my head. Right. Mm -hmm. And it would go, you know, that thing where you try to think through things and you ignore your gut feelings. 
You're not going to do that anymore. Nobody likes that, including you. And you're going to practice now living with your gut feelings. And it would give me vignette after vignette after Mm. vignette. And I'm like, oh my God, I got it. I got it. And she's like, when you've got it, you will move on. I mean, she was very, Mm. she was the voice of the medicine and she was very strong. Mm. Um, And at one point- Your voice, or is it a very feminine medicine? No, it was, it it was masculine. Typically it's referred to, and it did start as a masculine voice. Um, But when it moved into the healing, what I would call the healing phase, um, it did shift to a feminine voice. Mm. Um, And I did have a blackout period. Many people refer to experiencing a blackout period on Ibogaine. Mine was anywhere from six to eight hours um, where I was laying on the floor in a very uncomfortable position. um, And the medicine said, you are going to be here for a long time. And actually was part of my training because I said, what if I get a 24-hour ataxic, uneventful blackout? What do I do? And so I just had been practicing breath work. And so I laid there on the floor doing breath work while I watched the sunrise. Mm -hmm. I became aware of the staff change. I was, I mean, it was hours. And what I learned during integration, what the medicine was undoing was unwinding my energy. I was Mm -hmm. just such an intense person. And carried so much just anxiety at my core that it was like, you're just going to breathe it out. Mm. And I think that I did myself some really big favors by just surrendering and breathing because I don't know how long I would have been there if I hadn't been willing to be with that. Heather, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. Like, um, Oh gosh, you said so many things that I kind of want to address. So I'm going to try to be like, (laughs) so, um, the sort of listening and 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 communicating with the medicine or whatever the hell that is communicating with yourself communicating right. with yep. the spirit world communicating with entities whatever whatever that is uh last weekend i i i sat in ceremony for two nights and it was it was intense and and uh whatever people call them like the machine elves dmt elves angels entities spirits whatever like pretty pretty heavy with that kind of stuff, right? Pretty heavy with those folks, whatever they are. And uh, I found myself communicating with them. And, and it was that thing of like, they, I had, I had made the, I had made the commitment that no matter what, no matter how uncomfortable, scary, you know, traumatic, I was just going to go, I was going to, I was going to go all the way, lean into it, do the thing. And it, and they started showing me some childhood stuff, and I was and and I remember communicating like, like that consciousness of mine, like the me in here was like, oh, okay, we're doing, we're doing it, we're doing childhood trauma shit. We're gonna go into that, hmm. and and it was almost like this thing of like, oh, child. They were like, oh, childhood shit, yeah. And they just showed me all these different hmm. vignettes. I love that you said vignettes, little scenes, little things like. It's and it's just this constant clockwork, mo- constant motion. They're just showing me stuff, and then it was like, you know, I'm I'm still trying to communicate with whatever the medicine, the entities, the DMT, spirit elves, whatever we want to call it, machine elves. And their whole thing was like, yeah, we could do childhood stuff, and here's all the childhood shit. But we're act like let's focus on this thing that is communicating with us, like that internal critic, that internal monologue, that internal like trying to break it all down and trying to figure it out and trying to like be be aware of like oh I'm doing it, I'm healing, I'm doing the medicine, I'm doing all the things, and what does it mean? And am I picking up enough things? And am I doing it right? And what's my am I doing yoga? Am I doing my breath work? Am I doing? They're like 
let's let, let and it it's it was different because like usually it's like down here for me or maybe even in my gut like in my stomach but it was it's, a lot of times it's in my heart or in my throat but with this one it was up here like up in my in my my mind up in my brain trying to like work on that internal critic like that internal fucking dialogue or monologue that I have with myself and that's where my that's where my purge started coming from was out here and that's why I love you talking about your homegirl who was like broke the record 50 purges all that kind of stuff and shit was still coming out yep because that's a that's a real thing like if you get the flu or whatever like you 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 shit and puke until you're like empty then maybe you have the dry heaves but nothing's coming up right but with this with medicine work like she can be on vomit number 50 and there's still shit coming out of her or or water or whatever the hell it is it's crazy right it's amazing it's yeah amazing. i don't know if I, just, I don't know if i said anything just now i just said like a whole big thing but it's just well, like but i'm just, down for i'm down for whatever i just said it felt good <laughs> it felt good to me too in my body um but it did remind me when she was talking about uh that person purging 50 times um it reminded me of or you well, you telling me about your experience, you know, that you, you didn't do 50, but you were pretty close. It seemed like. <laughs> yeah, dude. Night two. Like I thought I had purged it all out night one. I was like, yeah, night one done. Night two. Let's have all the good stuff. Night two was like, I was like, everyone was sending me all their crap, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I was purging all night long uh-huh. and my final one was the most violent of all of them. And like the most stuff came out of my, my mouth. And then when I was getting ready to purge another time, my homie was like, Hey, instead of purging into your bucket, why don't you pick up your guitar? And I was like, dude, I'm, I don't even know if I could even touch a guy. I can't even sit upright. He's like, no, just instead of purging, grab your guitar. And Holy shit. Like it worked. Like, the most beautiful thing I've ever played in my life came out of my body. And that was my purge, my last one, I guess. Anyway. That's, that's amazing. And, and actually, you know, it's interesting when I'm in an ayahuasca circle um, mm-hmm. and people start purging, I'm usually moving. My body starts, I dance. And so I very rarely mm-hmm. purge on ayahuasca with vomit. Um, the room is still and flat and I am off in a corner somewhere moving in a way that I can't even explain. And I can't seem to reproduce outside of that medicine. My body wants to move and that's often my purge. That's so interesting. interesting. And then what do you call it? Actasia? Ataxia. Ataxia. Mm -hmm. So with that, you may be, maybe that's something you're naturally prone to do. Like you maybe want to move your body and dance a little bit, but you just, you just flat out couldn't, right? It It was just, whoa, whoa. You can't, you can't. And and that's one of the other interesting things about Ibogaine is that this is in no way ever under any circumstances, a recreational substance. Like you can hmm. take tiny amounts of mushrooms and the recreational or small amounts of ayahuasca that could be recreational LSD, whatever you name it. Right. And then in higher potencies, you want to be in a therapeutic setting. Um, or most folks find that that's valuable. Uh, Ibogaine is not like only with trained medical professionals and, and want to reiterate, I had to undergo a full blood panel, a full physical exam, an EKG, another EKG when I got there and we received multiple IVs before starting the medicine, IVs while on the medicine, and we were attached to a heart wow. monitor. 
So this medicine is no joke. I mean, it has an impact on the body and can affect the heart in a way that makes it really important to do it in circumstances with providers that just have a whole lot of experience and integrity around the safety of it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's probably the only medicine like that. I think, I mean, I think safety is important with all of them. This is one in particular that just has that, that threshold of you really need to dot your eyes on this one because it can be, it can be dangerous. Yeah. Mm. So a couple of questions. Well, one, would you do it again? Yes. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm. Oh, really? I'm, yeah. I'm actually. Okay. So again, like I know my medicine when I feel it, this was, you know, Doug, we were talking a little bit about before we hit record. Um, I, ha- I've kind of a pessimist, mm-hmm. like, like a realist, and in all of my yeah. psychedelic experiences, I've had these just beautiful, I mean, 5-MeO-DMT is like, I do it all the time, right? Yeah. And I have these profound experiences and I'm like, yeah, but that's just like what the medicine does. Like there's no real magic or intelligence in there. And I kind of always leave with this sassy, like, yeah, I don't know if I'm really sold yet. I began sold me. Mm. I saw the divine intelligence and the divine order of all things. I saw it. It showed me and it showed me my place in that order. And that's what shifted the unworthiness to the worthiness and and seeing your place in that order with this, with this reverence for, Oh my God, I get it now. I see it. I see your intelligence and I see how powerful you are. And that means how powerful I am because you are me. You are in my brain. This is my brain. And I remember at one point I got so excited by the visuals and the, the beauty and just the profundity of what I was experiencing. And I was like, it's fucking awesome in here. And I was so excited. And the medicine very clearly said, that's how you're supposed to feel. Oh, oh shit. I love that. Whoa. To love what it feels like to be inside myself. Mm. That was Holy it. smokes. I mean, so yeah, I'll do it again because it changed me forever. And the, I had this thing after I, I came out of it for several days I would see people I knew, you know, my my partner, my my daughter, who, by the way, knew I, she's 10, my younger daughter, knew I traveled, didn't know why. She walked in the front door. She saw me. She held me, hugged me. And she looked at me and she said, mommy, you feel so different. Oh. 10 years old, she felt my energetic shift. Well, that's, that's wild. Wild, right? Because yeah. the structures that I had built around me, the, the part of me that was going, am I good enough to be her mom? Uh, what is she feeling when she hugs me? Am I wearing the right clothes? Should I have been the one to walk her home from school? Like all that shit was gone. And she felt that in that embrace. And it had such a big impact on me knowing that people could feel the energetic shift just by being in my proximity. That was game changing. And one of the things that would happen for me is I would just randomly burst into tears. Mm-hmm. And it was the tears of, it's over, not meaning the I began experience, but the life I had before. Mm-hmm. This awareness of how much anxiety and self-loathing I was carrying every day compared to what I was now feeling with this complete liberation from that that pain and going, it's oh, it's it's over. I don't ever have to go back to that. It was so overwhelmingly emotional that I would just burst into tears wow. because it was like the the, the fight is over. I'm not that person anymore. And it was so freeing. Um, and I've, I can't even, I've never experienced anything even remotely that powerful in any of the work that I've done psychedelics or otherwise. 
I mean, you're kind of selling me on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, I mean, a lot of people say that. And like I said, read the read the blog. There's yeah. a lot in there. Um, I am looking to go to Gabon. There's a small group of us um, to be initiated with Iboga. Um, it's it's a huge process. It's a multi day process. <clears throat> I do want to experience the full the full plant in its organic state. And I know that I will be returning to Ibogaine, whether it's um, just for myself or also in supporting other people who are journeying with Ibogaine, because this medicine has had a profound resonance with me and how I operate. I'm very intellectual. And I think that for some of us who are extremely analytical and intellectual and really challenge ourselves, I think this can be an interesting medicine because it meets us right there. Well, so maybe to bring listeners in, uh, as far as that, like I, uh, Heather, I, instead of like all of the, uh, like, you know, the words that you use, like, like, uh, you know, cynical or sort of like healthy, uh, you know, pragmatism, that kind of stuff. Like I kind of, I, I sort of put that all under the umbrella of just like, oh, I'm skeptical. I, I'm a little bit skeptical of people making out outlandish claims. I mean, I, I sit on a podcast called Mormons on Mushrooms and I get kind of like uh, skeptical of people making outlandish claims. So I know there's some kind of like, you know, probably a contradiction in that somewhere, but I, I buy into that skepticism. I think healthy skepticism is a, is a good thing. That's what, that's what took me out of the Mormon church. It's what takes me out of toxic relationships with, you know, with people. I, I, I believe in it. So the, the, the reason I'm bringing that up is because before we started recording, I, Heather, I was telling you about, I've heard stories about people doing, you know, some kind of like, kind of like what we would consider like a heavier medicine and, you know, becoming like instantly, you know, healed from their, um, you know, opioid addiction, you know, their drug addiction, something like that. We, we got a buddy who always talks about like, did ayahuasca before that he was smoking two packs a day went cold turkey, totally stopped because of the ayahuasca. And I've heard stories like that like a, a million times. And I've always just kind of been skeptical. Like, uh, is this just part of the whole story? Is, like, is this part of like, look how cool this medicine is. It healed me immediately type of thing. You know, that hyperbole of like, it just, inst it's an instant hill. But then I had this experience last weekend where I and I have to admit, I don't, I don't really, I've never talked about this on the podcast. Mike, you know about it, but I have like a, I have like an insane addiction, nicotine, not chew, not cigarettes, just straight up nicotine salt pouches. And like in, a, in an average hour and a half recording of this podcast, I would go through two or three of those things. That's six milligrams of nicotine delivery to my system during that time. Mm -hmm. And then after last weekend, I'm now on day eight of cold Turkey. And, and I, and it's like, I was telling you, Heather, like I am feeling it. Like, it's not mm -hmm. like I'm just like, you know, tippy toeing and skipping through a meadow of rainbow and sunshine and, 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 and having this like unicorn experience. I'm like in the, throws of it like i hate it like i want some right now as i'm talking but in the medicine i was like dude this shit is poisoning you like this is like you are reliant like you are heavily reliant on this stuff so i'm starting to 
like I'm starting to believe more and more people that tell me these stories that sound to me something I should be skeptical of. But I'm just like, wow. And and the reason I bring this up on recording is because there's a high likelihood that I'll probably backslide into nicotine. I don't want to. I'm trying to get rid of it completely. But I think people should be part of the part of the experience. If I'm going to make these claims, then I'll I'll come clean and admit if I like do if I have nicotine again. But it's it's interesting how the medicine like I I keep thinking to myself, I I have the skills and the and the and the mindset and the experience to like 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 surf with the medicine. But I don't have to completely trust it. And I keep learning. No, you can trust the medicine, homeboy. Like the medicine unlocks you. Like it unlocks. It, it, it's medicine. God damn it. I keep using the word medicine and that's what it is, right? It's yeah. medicine. Oh. Well, I think I think there's a few pieces in there if if I can, because I, I think there's some really delicious um, elements that I would love to reflect on. One is that if you do choose to have nicotine, I don't know that the framework of backslide is necessary. You're still moving forward because you're moving forward with a new intentionality and consciousness around your relationship with it. And so we don't always have to define it in, in such strict terms. And I think the other thing that you said was you brought all this work to it and you want to continue to bring this work to how you live and show up. And it's you. Right. And there are people who come to medicine and go, it gave me everything I wanted. And I'm going to take that forward and change my life. And there are people who go to medicine and come out and go, it didn't fix anything. I'm still fucking broken. <laughs> true. And it's That's like, true. it doesn't mean that the medicine is going to give us what we think it is supposed to. Mm-hmm. It's going to give us what we need. And I talked to someone who just did a lot of ayahuasca um, and did not have a good experience, did not have a profound response at all, um, had a lot of discomfort and was very frustrated with the ayahuasca. And I said, you know, no, you don't want to hear this, but it was giving you something. It was giving you what it needed to give you. And even though that may not be what you thought it was, sometimes what we don't want is what we need the most. If we're mm-hmm. willing to look at that and say, Why am I so upset that I had this experience? There's learning in that too. And being humble enough to trust that the medicine knows what it's doing. I think that's where the skepticism comes in, right? As we go, it didn't do what I said. My story is wrong or wasn't in line with what the medicine did. Now, how am I supposed to trust the medicine? And I think that comes with two things. I think that comes with experience and it's not only about trusting the medicine. It's about trusting ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Am I going to integrate? Am I going to take this seriously? Those people who stopped cold turkey didn't stop because of the medicine. They stopped because they fucking wanted to. And the medicine gave them an opportunity and a a little bit of a boost and permission to recreate an identity around this thing that maybe that's all it did. And if we lived in a world where we always gave ourselves permission and each other permission to recreate their identity... We wouldn't need things like medicine to tell us it's okay to hit reset, but because that's in the, in the taxonomy around medicine, that becomes the agent that offers the permission to do what we wanted to do anyway, or be who we wanted to be from the beginning. Man. I I really love that. Um, Yeah. Cause there is that, it doesn't have to be, 
it doesn't have to be um, the medicine is a tool. You are the medicine versus uh, you are nothing. And the medicine is, is doing all the work. It, it, it can be both of the, it can be all of those things. I really love the way you, you phrased that in that. Yeah. The medicine can show stuff that maybe we weren't even quite expecting or, or, you know, it wasn't part of our, like our medicine mood board, you know, our medicine, like healing board. It gives us what we need. But then there also is that, that individual internal motivation that maybe the medicine unlocks or maybe has been there all along. That's just like honesty. It's like honesty with the self a little bit. It's like, all right, motherfucker, let's do this. Like it's time. Like you've been putting it off, whatever that thing is. It doesn't have to be nicotine. It can be, you know, I, you know, it could be like, you really love like, reading children's pop-up books and that's the thing you're addicted to and it's just like i gotta get away from these pop-up books there's too many of them and i get and I, i'm addicted to them whatever it might be but the medicine does unlock some kind of like thing of like hey you know if you want to be honest with yourself here's kind of some stuff that's happening like here's the thing about you i really i really love the way you said that heather like i'm i'm taking that to heart as we as we speak yeah, yeah. thank you yeah. i'm loving this whole thing um and doug you were talking about skepticism and it's, I was just listening to a book today. Uh, it's called uh, Cosmos and Psyche from uh, Richard Tarnas. Mm. And he was talking about how he was calling skepticism. Uh, our, uh, he called it like our psychic, psychic virginity Ooh. where it's like this protection and, it, and we need more skepticism, mm. but he's also saying that, the goal isn't to be skeptic our whole skeptic that tool we have of skepticism isn't meant to be skeptical our whole lives. Mm-hmm. It's to give our like trust when, when the right, when the high, I'm butchering what are you saying? But when it resonate mm-hmm. uh, resonates with us, then we, we give ourselves to it. You know, like yes. if there's like this maintaining this healthy skepticism, but also knowing when to surrender that skepticism. And I thought that was kind of an interesting analogy. Um, but That's right thing, on with what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 And another thing he was talking about that I feel like is right on and which will weave into maybe some of this discussion on homeopathy is um, you mentioned the thing that pulled you out of that loop or, or that mental block you had or the block you had was seeing your place in the cosmos, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was talking about how, you know, in the rational modern world where we've treated the world like an object to be studied, we've created that se- separation of us and the world. Mm-hmm. And now, now the world's an, a, a, an object. We've disenchanted the world. Hmm. That the hubris that we are the only conscious beings, that consciousness resides within humans not in the cosmos. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. know that gets tricky to talk about on a Mormons on Mushrooms podcast where we grew up learning that like God in a higher power in God. And now we've come to learn to trust ourselves, but now it's like almost thinking, well, but there, the wisdom of the cosmos, why the, the, you were learning that the wisdom isn't just in you, but there's a wisdom to nature, mm-hmm. to the earth, to the planets, to all of it, that we are, we are, the soul, our souls aren't just within us, but we live in a, an insold world and mm-hmm. an insold cosmos. And 
I don't know. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. In sold? What is that? And, and so like E-N, E-N sold, like N sold. Oh, N sold. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm thinking, uh, thinking of that in relationship to medicine, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, you think of like Western medicine versus natural medicine or met home, homeop, homeopathic. Yeah. I'm really struggling with my words today, guys. I'm sorry. Um, and you know, there's a value in both we've through this separation and then studying the the world as an object we've learned a shit ton of things Mm -hmm. and we know how to treat certain things. Um, but we've also lost touch of the fact that the body is a complete mechanism that the the wholeness of the body of, of that's all interconnected, including the mind, including Including our, including our psychological experiences. They are part of our body. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I kind of want to talk about, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I I was thinking as you were describing that is that a recent journey that I had with mushrooms was all around my rigidity in my thinking and being. And I didn't realize this. And the mushrooms said, you're going to meet everyone you know without their name. And it- Hold on, say that again. You're you're going to meet everyone everyone you know know without their name. Without Mm. their name. And what it was telling me was that my definition of who they were was affecting my ability to see their authentic essence. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I re-met my daughters, my partner, my friends, these people, and I could see their energetic essence in a completely different way than how I had created it around who they were with their name. And one of the other things that came in this journey following this was you're going to experience feelings without labels. So sadness no longer became sadness. It became the the physical sensations that were. And then what happened, as mushrooms can amazingly do, was it was all feelings at once. And, yeah. and, and the transition after that, cause I said, but this is all so complicated was really what was coming out of this. Cause I was thinking about things and people and relationships. And it said, yes, this is the answer to everything nuance. And so the, it's kind of what you were talking about, Mike, as being, or for me, what I was thinking about was how I've had to learn or desired to learn to get present enough in myself to be with the nuance of the experience of the moment. So rather than saying, I know what it's going to be like to hang out with Mike and Doug, showing up and saying, I want to experience what it's like to be with Mike and Doug this evening. Hmm. And, I, and, and, and without that story or expectation. And to for me to bring that to everything, not I know what this meal is going to taste like. Well, what does this meal taste and feel like to me right now? Oh, I love that. And for me, that's been kind of the the essence and and couple that with the Ibogaine, which shut off all the I'm not good enough bullshit. It has really freed me up to be present in a new way and to and to be intimate with the nuances of all things. And I think that's the beauty of our identity and 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 finding that identity through resonance. If we're in tune with nuance, then we can be in tune with where that resonance really is. This part is a yes. This part is not as much of a yes. And mm-hmm. and really leaning into that, that yes. And it's not just between humans, right? It could be so much as the, the texture of the sheets on my bed. Hmm. Gosh, I love that. 
it's making me th- sorry is it cool mike I, I don't yeah no i'm okay yeah go well you're just heather you're just gosh you're fun to talk to like i feel like you're like making <laughs> me want to like this, <laughs> say things what would you say mike i said aren't you just loving this i am loving this yeah like this is a this is like going to be the least um like profound thing that's ever been said on this podcast because it exists like in I mean, it's Shakespearean, I guess it's biblical what I'm about to say, but like, it really did like my experience last weekend as an example, there was a moment when, uh, I had, well, Mike, you'll be happy to hear this. I, I, I had a moment of like pure, like, like emotional breakdown of like crying, like full blown that emotion kind of stuff. And I, and at first I tried to hide it in, in a laugh, which is sort of like my, my MO a little bit, I would say, right. I tried to hide it in a laugh and the, and the more I tried to hide it through laughter, the more it became like literal, like bawling, like sobbing, bawling that, that Mike, I just, you know, I just don't, I don't really have that very much. Like, that's the thing that I rely on you for a lot of the time. I'm loving this. Yeah. You know? Uh Uh-huh. And it it brought me so close to that truth. And the reason I say Shakespearean is because I'm talking about the whole like life is a, is a comedy or a tragedy, but really the two are intertwined and interchangeable and, and, and really doesn't, when you look at the way they make, that's why I'm trying to say this, Heather, maybe I'm having a tough time, uh, you know, articulating it, but when you look at those emotions as far as what they do to your body, not the judgments that we put on them and the reasons that we come up with for, oh, th- yeah, I recognize this as as sad. I'm sad because a person died or because my mom doesn't love me or because I had a fight with my wife. Like it doesn't, we, 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 we come up with explanations to to kind of solve the riddle of a physical thing that's happening in us. Mm-hmm. Right. Or there we're making noise out of our eyes, nose and mouth or we're feeling a heaviness here or we're feeling like a like a merriment or a butterfly in our in our stomach. We're trying to somehow describe a physical reaction that we're having to some kind of stimuli. Right. And it kind of comes down to it kind of comes down to either like the, the tragedy part. Like, is it is it sad? Is it death? Is it, is it dealing with mortality or is it, is it comedy? Is it, is it, is it just like the ludicrousness of mortality, the, the insanity of consciousness, like the, the shock and surprise I'm telling you right now, my bawling sobbing thing sounded a lot like me laughing to the point where one of the facilitators was like, what are you laughing about? I'm like, I'm literally not, I'm crying. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm sobbing. Tears rolling down my face, but they at first thought I was laughing and I, and I couldn't explain it. I was just like, look, my body is doing this. I, I don't, I, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do here. And then I felt, I felt stupid about apologizing. Cause I'm like, fuck you. I'm not apologizing. I'm having like a real moment here. Anyway, when you said that about it, Heather, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but when you said that about experiencing emotions or experiencing the way emotions feel in the right here and now and physically what they're doing to us. It just unlocked a whole bunch of shit for me because really we use a, we use a story to tell us the why we're having that, but the story does not 
do enough. The story doesn't do enough to tell us the what, mm-hmm. right? The what we're experiencing. Oh, I'm sad. Well, everybody identifies with sad. Like when when the puppy dies in the in the in the in the movie, we're all sad because we didn't want the puppy to die. But that feeling we're having of like oh, my throat hurts, and it's like I'm gonna like I'm gonna I feel like I, something's gonna come up out of my mouth, and I and there's tears coming out of my mouth or out of my eyes. That's the same thing that I do when I laugh when I'm having the time of my life. Well, and you know it's it's interesting because <clears throat> there's two things. One is that once we start labeling. We, our judge comes online, other parts yes. come online and everything, the way I think about it is almost like gears are in motion and then they just halt and we get stuck because we go, oh, of course I'm sad. Cause I always get sad when my mom and I fight mm. because we have a bad relationship and, and all of our energy is going down that spiral of the, of the story that kept us is keeping us stuck, but it's not really helping us synthesize or alchemize what's at the heart of that experience. And that's what you're talking about. And this ties into one of the, one of the therapeutic methodologies that I'm studying is Hakomi. And it's a body centered therapy. It goes very well with, with psychedelics. Although I will tell you, I use it with my clients all the time, not with psychedelics and it's the body holds the wisdom. And so it's navigating people into these physical spaces of sensation in a state of mindfulness where they may be talking about one thing, but the story becomes very irrelevant because we're going to know what's the sensation. What's And all of a sudden there's these wisdom pearls start to come out and people genuinely experience a transformation in these sessions because their body can no longer has to hold on to whatever was such a, such a pattern. I mean, that's always a question in Hakomi is, is this familiar? And the answer is almost always yes. And it ties into something that's been showing up in their life and their psyche for a very long time. Well, I love that you bringing this up because I think that's where we, you know, we talk about, we've, Doug, you were talking about why and the what, and this is like deepening into the what and yeah. getting away from the story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Leave the story aside. It doesn't yep. matter the why and and what caused you to be feeling what you're doing there. Or the how. Yeah, or the how, just like what, what's happening? What is happening? Oh, yes. I'm feeling a tension in my gut. Well, where, where, what is that? Breathe into it, see what yeah. happens. Oh, it, and I, what do you see? I see like a purple triangle. I don't know. You yeah. see, you start seeing images and this, and you're, you're not saying, why am I seeing this weird image or what's happening? It's what am I experiencing right now? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, we don't, we've spent way too much time on the wives, why's in the house mm-hmm. in our lives. And, but deepening into the, what it's hard. <laughs> it, well, it is hard. And you know what I but think yet it's simple and easy too. So is, yeah. You know what I mean? Like well, it's even yeah. more easy, right. Than yeah. all that energy spending there, the thing. But what I thought as you were talking through that is I had this idea about, and I talked about this actually at, at solstice when I was talking about resonances, we have this illusion of human hierarchy And so many of us spend a lot of our energy determining our position on this illusory hierarchy and justifying our position. And for some of us, and this would be myself included in a, you know, before I had done a lot of the work that I've done was like, I'm strong. I'm a survivor. I've, I've survived trauma. I have, you know, and so the, the, the why was really important because it was part of my identity. And when I became willing to release that identity 
and see myself as as really a a, a flexible identity, then I could become willing to pursue resonance and change my identity on a regular basis and not be attached to anything that put me in a particular position or another around the around the why, right? Well, I'm worthy because I can survive profound trauma. I'm worthy because I can live alone without any help, whatever those identity structures are, right? Our society actually inadvertently rewards that type of thinking. Because if you think about how we put certain people on pedestals, it's all people who meet certain criteria for achievement, accomplishment, measurable uh, mechanisms of worthiness. And if we're just sitting here being like blobs of, of light and experiencing things, we're not really making our way up the hierarchy. And and by the way, the system doesn't really want us to be conscious because once we're conscious, we start to wake up to dysfunction and things like that. But I don't think our society really points us to even being aware, especially for men. I don't know what you both think of me saying that, but I know from working yeah. with, with, with different genders, women are much more in tune with the, the body and how to, how to label and, and how to somaticize and and tend to uh, just finish reading um, the myth of normal by Gabor Mate and talks about the health of women um, and how it corresponds to the internalization of their strife. Whereas with men, it's really hard for them to even identify what they're experiencing, let alone be in mindful attunement with their physical body. You know, I I think that I I, I couldn't agree more with that, and and I don't think it has a lot to do with. Um, Sort of like, you know, a lot of times for for this type of a conversation, we would sort of uh, we would bring up gender roles or the patriarchy or or or, or that kind of thing. I, I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think that women um, biologically are, are 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 almost from a from an earlier age forced to come face to face and to terms with how their body uh, works, how they're feeling, somatic, like what they're experiencing. Um. I I have daughters and I I just I I know that they are very in tune with what's happening in their bodies. And I'm not trying to make blanket statements or generalization or mansplain how a woman's body works. I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm just trying to say that, like, I I mean, up until I was 17 years old, I thought I was peeing when I ejaculated. Like nobody I, I never I never had to come. I never had to realize what was happening with my body. I never had to like sit. I never had to sit with my dad and talk about like the way. And then that's, that's a, that's a function of Mormonism as well. I think probably too, but I didn't have to like, there wasn't this thing where like every month it's like, shit, I'm bleeding. Like I'm like, my whole body is like, like bleeding from in, like from inside. And so uh, yeah, I didn't really have much of a point other than just to agree with what you were saying about. <laughs> about I want to. Oh, I just want to add to one thing you're saying here because, um, and, and and maybe it's into that deepening into the what, um, and and back to that insold world I was talking about. Um, if you start looking at the world, like the, if you think of like, we're walking through, so I'm closing my eyes and moving my hands here for the listeners, but like you kind of walking through like this insold world. Mm. And instead of wondering, get in your head, like what's happening today or why am I doing this or what? It's like, what is in front of me right now? Mm. What is the world showing me in my field right now? And how you can come to know 
uh, just deepening into the the details of the your experience like you would a lover mm-hmm. then you're engaging with the anima mundi or the soul of the world in a new way with those fresh eyes and like hey i'm waking up today and the universe is good the world is going to show me things in my path and i'm going to engage in it and what if i what if i live life that way just like one moment to the next what's in front of me now i i know we have to plan and shit probably i don't know but like what if we started engaging our lives more in that way? Well, I think that's beautiful. And that's that makes me kind of think a little bit about, okay, so we have a schedule. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm going, okay, so I have a schedule. I have to walk outside to get in the car to drive somewhere. What do I choose? How do I choose to be present with what I notice when I walk outside? Mm-hmm. What yeah. is being shown to me in that experience from the house to the car? Mm-hmm. What do I experience while I'm in the car? Right. And so it's not changing that I choose to live in a way where I have commitments and schedules and structures. For me, the takeaway with this part of the conversation is how do I choose to be in that moment with it and not take for granted that those moments of the walk from the house to the car or the drive are as rich with information and ensoulment as sitting here with the two of you and being in eye contact and, and focused on community. And it's also not a rejection of like, how can I, how can I make my life better? Or I don't like what's in front of me, or I don't like this story, or I don't like the house I live in, or, you know, um, I don't like, I want to change it, or I'm trying to manage, I don't like my car. So I want to manifest a bigger car or a better car or more money in this. It's like, I I guess it's like a gratitude and appreciation at what it turns into. But, um, well, even those things can be seen as opportunities. Right. Like, I don't like my car. What am I going to do with that? I can be grateful that I have one that works right now. And I can be constantly reminded that it's really going to become a priority for me to obtain a new vehicle. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's how do we choose to be with what we're receiving when we're not in resonance with it or Mm -hmm. when we find ourselves in resistance to it? That's information, too. I like that because it's not just like I have to accept my plight in life or. Right. Yeah. Right. And I feel like this, not to keep talking about Iba game, but I feel like that's kind of what you learn in that state. There's something somatically that you're experiencing as you can't move, whatever the word you use, where you can't, or you can move, but it, it hurts. Um, but you still have that control. You're still, there's still that like dialogue and exchange with the medicine, just like we're in dialogue and exchange with, with the cosmos and the world, I guess. That, yeah. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I, I do, I did want to mention about Ibogaine, and you reminded me of that, what you just said. Um, there's this concept of like, so, some people refer to it as anti-fragile, but there's, and there's a book called Anti-Fragile that talks about it. But we are, as humans in this state of our evolution, we are designed for adversity, like legitimate adversity, fighting for our food, fighting to stay in the tribe, never sure where our safety or our next meal is coming from. Our brains are still there. And we don't live in that world anymore. So a lot of our suffering is due to a lack of adversity because we've managed to make life so comfortable that we've stopped evolving as individuals in the same way that we did when our circumstances were much more dire. And what I believe is the center of the divine intelligence of this medicine is that it knows how to create that adversity for the individual. So that the brain and the body can grow 
in that very short period of time, I say very short, I was in the medicine for 24 hours with 12 hours of <laughs> gray day. So I had 36 hours of, of hell. And, but the adversity was so profound and, and weird, right? It was this really weird set of assaults on my body and my senses and my brain and everything. It was almost like compressing adversity into like this, this nugget of, of time and then going, okay, now you can grow. Now you can break free. Uh, and that was what was one of the things that I took away from it was it was difficult on purpose because it had to be because it unlocked parts of my brain that needed that level of adversity to be unlocked. Mm. And I'm not going to get that walking down the street. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I just I, I'm not trying to turn it to you or anything. I just I'm trying to like it, it's it's a different you know, I just want to make sure because usually if we're all on the screen, I can tell if you're wanting to say something or not, Doug. Yeah. And um, so I'm just trying to make sure if you're wanting to say something. Well, I yeah, I'm 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 really feeling I'm really feeling this. I I feel like we 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 wanted to talk about uh homeopathy, which by the way, this is the first time I've ever said that word that way. I've always said homeopathy. Like I I don't know. <laughs> like I'm I'm glad to I was struggling about it before and I didn't know it was like my brain was trying to do either or, or I don't know what. Yeah. Right. Am I saying it right? Homeopathy? It's homeopathy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Cool. So oh, I'm a okay. homeopath and homeopathy and uh, homeopathics. Do, do we, do you want to transition? Yeah. Let's just like, I, I, I kind of do. Yeah. Like I, I'd like to hear, cause I, it's, it's a thing that, um, back to skepticism, like it's a yeah. thing where I, feel like there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of like uh people who take it too far to one way or too far to the other way like i'm i'm one of these people who's like listen 120 years ago doctors were saying your blood is literally too thick we need to open you up and let some of your blood out we called it bloodletting like literally just you need to bleed a little bit that was a doctor 120 years ago well we look at that now and we say that's insanity but also our treatment for our current very modern medical treatment for cancer is to literally uh, uh, to literally uh, enact a plutonium, like a nuclear bomb inside of our body. Right. It's it's to literally poison us from the inside out, which 120 years from now, we'll probably look back and be like, what the fuck were we doing? We were like poisoning our entire body. So I am one of these people who I'm not all in. On the homo homeopathic uh, 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 solutions, but I'm also not all in on you know medical science with its uh, with its its treatments and 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 remedies has it all figured out. Like if I if I break my leg and need to have it like need to have it set, certainly I want to go to like a medical like I want to go to a a, a a a orthopedic surgeon. Right? You're not, not going to drink herbal tea. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to find the best plant that I can put on my knee. Cause I just blew it out. But when it comes to like the way our bodies are reacting to poison or to the environment or to disease, I don't think that this little white pill and then an hour and a half of exposure to, to full blown radiation is the pinnacle of, hu of human achievement. I, I, I don't think that that's medical science said it's at its best. So I'd love to hear, I didn't ask a question, Heather, because I'm, because I'm not sure what question to ask, 
But I would like to know, sort of like for those of us who can't even pronounce it correctly, <laughs> what what are some of the do's and don'ts, or what are some of the common misconceptions of of uh, of a homeopath practitioners that, that you have to come across? Bad question, but you get what I'm trying to ask, right? Totally. And I love how you brought that up because one of the things that I had said to Mike in, in preparation was I really want to talk about the controversial nature of it yeah. because I am not. So my training is interesting. I attended. So I'm a classically trained homeopath. You may meet homeopaths who do muscle testing or intuitive. They 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 feel what remedy you need. That is not the school that I was trained in. I was trained in a very clinical program, um, and it's four years. It's a four year program. It's it's a lot the a lot of training, and it is very much based in the analysis of an individual's case. Now, one of the things that happens in the homeopathic realm, and I think this happens across the board in any number of these modalities, is you get these people who pound the table, forget Western medicine, forget everything else. Homeopathy can cure cancer. Homeopathy can cure diabetes. This is all we need. Uh, even the, the, the founder of homeopathy back in the 1700s did not take that approach. Um, he was, he, I'll talk about how he came to it because it's a really interesting story, but I'm not one of those homeopaths. I have always been integrative is how I describe myself. And what I have found in my work is that every person is different. And this is already addressed by homeopathy to some degree in that we don't have a what is the remedy for a headache? What is the remedy for a blown out knee? Like we do in Western medicine, right? We go, oh, you take Advil or Tylenol for that. You have surgery for that. Homeopathy is I need to understand how that headache shows up for you. And when does it show up? And very importantly, when did it start? And what else was going on in your life at the time? See, Western medicine forgets this. And this is this mind-body connection that is so important that homeopathy actually does capture. And so if somebody comes to me, and they're on a regimen of medications that are helping them manage, let's say, diabetes, asthma, and arthritis. I am not going to tell them to stop taking their medication. Mm -hmm. I am going to meet them where they're at, and I'm going to find out what homeopathy can do in the landscape of this person's already systemic experience with medicine. Um, and, and that can be challenging, but it's also for me, I think the only way that it really works. And the reason that I got so excited about psychedelics when I first became introduced to them was I've, I've been with homeopathy for almost 30 years. It's been a part of my life. I've been practicing for over 10. Wow. I have had personally profound experiences. So I was one of those stories that they talk about in clinic. I was chronically ill for my childhood, starting at six years old um, and starting at 14, my illnesses became much more acute and I was on a battery of medications. <clears throat> when I was 18, I was in so much physical pain that I was suicidal and they wanted to add more medication. And I told my parents no more. I was already on eight medicines every day, mm. different. I had my pills lined up and my roommate at the time said, Hey, so-and-so's mom is going through cancer treatment. Interesting. You mentioned that Doug. Um, and she's seeing a homeopath. You should talk to her. So I went for the heck of it. And within three months, my life had changed dramatically and I was off. Oh, my damn, that's so cool. I, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to yeah. know. I love no, that. So, so it love was that. crazy. It was crazy. So I had one of those, those 
those, and I was, I was skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally like, what is this? And this woman was, I thought she was very weird and she could kind of read my mind, which freaked me out a little bit. Like I was like, <laughs> how does she know to ask these questions? I'm kind of, now I'm interested because she seems to know what's in my head. You went to a witch. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now that I know remedies, I actually understand exactly what was happening for her. She was already having remedies in her mind and she was trying to tease out which one was the best. And mm. so she was asking me these key questions, but, but what I think is, is, amazing about it with psychedelics is that it is a very gentle medicine. First of all, it works in conjunction with whatever we're already doing. It works on the physical, the psychological, and the energetic and spiritual plane. And I have taken many years to actually buy into that energetic and spiritual. I was always, give me the clinical show me the physical. We know how it ties to the psychological. Those are related. We learn it in homeopathy. It's the the myth of normal. It's what the whole book is about, right? Mm -hmm. And you see it time and time again in the cases. But what really was interesting to me when it came to psychedelics was that there are people who go to psychedelics seeking healing who have decades of suppression of something profound, whether it be grief or trauma. Those are probably the two most common. And they go to psychedelics looking for relief And what happens is sometimes, and I don't know if either of you have have met people like this, what it does is kind of crack shit open and things start moving. Now their stasis is gone. Everything they had that was working in their life doesn't work anymore because everything is coming out, but they don't have, it didn't solve it. It just opened them up and they don't have a way to now assimilate this. I think I've had that with certain medicine experiences. Really? Even. Yeah. yeah and not I, all of my medicine experience, but there's been some where I felt like it was almost unresolved or something, or mm-hmm. it cracked something open. And the next, it felt like I was on a, a very rocky foundation or very like mm-hmm. wobbly foundation for a while. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and where homeopathy comes in for me is some people are really good candidates for doing homeopathy first, because yeah. what can happen is the remedies can crack you open a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's slow. And it's in the context of your day-to-day life and you're still living and you're going, wait a minute, Heather, why am I crying all the time now? I wasn't crying before, but now I, I seem to be crying very easily and go, oh, okay, something's opening up, something's happening, something's moving within you. And it, it can help not only give them the tools to navigate those psychedelic journeys, but it can help them understand what they're bringing into the journey and what they may be facing when they come out. Um, the other thing, and a lot of my referrals are this, is they I, I get them after. These are the people that they've had a psychedelic experience Mm. and now they can't function. And that's really, those are really sad for me because they don't want to go back to psychedelics. And my job, to be honest with you, as a homeopath is a lot harder. I've now gotten someone in crisis, in psychological crisis, that my, it is my hope and job in that moment to stabilize with homeopathic remedies. Now I have had tremendous results. And I see people before and after. Um, But again, I'm not trying to say this is the be all end all. What I think is amazing about them is how they are the same. If you think about how a psychedelic works, it works on the physical, it works on the spiritual, works on the psychological and the energetic. It is a punch in the face is how I describe it. Whereas the homeopathic remedy is a pebble in the pond. We're Mm -hmm. creating ripples. We're moving things slowly and carefully. Now, I know people get impatient and they don't want to take the the slow road. These are also the people that end up in my in my in my clinic and in in crisis because they wanted something faster and easier. Um, And they found out that the psychedelics weren't actually going to provide that for them. Whereas homeopathy, you got to do your work. 
You can't just take the remedy and you're going to wake up feeling 100% better. It's a process. And being with yourself and what got you to not feeling good in the first place is part of that experience and part of that process. Um, Mike, I'm looking at you. Yeah, no, I I was going to add to this because I think that right there highlights the way you explained that in a similar way to me when we were at solstice Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh shit, I want to talk about this on the podcast Mm -hmm. because I think, you know, it, I still have it in the Western mindset of take a pill, you take the pill and you feel the effects in 20 minutes and you know, the the pill worked or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you talk about holistic medicine, which is what we're talking about, it's that whole mind body connection and all of the bodies involved. I mean, I'm just thinking of an example of, a few years ago, and this, this didn't have to do with medicine, but well, medicine of a different kind, but I, my hips were so tight and mm. I, I had, I was playing soccer with my kid, not like real intense soccer. Like my probably six-year-old girl at the time was playing soccer with her and pulled something in my hip. And for the next four months, anytime I would walk in a certain way, I'd re-injure that hip. I, so I didn't know what to do. So I went to a doctor, uh, whoever specializes in hips, uh, what's the name of that doctor? I don't know, but anyway, probably like an orthopedist, I would say probably orthopedist. And he took x-rays. I don't don't fucking know what maybe, maybe, or maybe it was like, just like a pediatrician or podiatrist. I don't know who you went to. Pediatrician is children. Yeah, I know. I said, well, the reason I said pediatrician and podiatrist is because I was trying to, I was trying to humorlessly or humorously show that I don't know fuck about doctors. Like, I don't know which one does what. <laughs> well, he took some x-rays and he's like, uh, you are, I mean, I was probably 38 at the time. It's like, you're 37, 38 years old. And I feel you're going to have, if we're going to have to do hip surgery in a couple of years. Like he was almost, he was debating whether he wanted to do surgery on me right then and do a hip surgery, like a massive hip surgery. And so I, instead I went to physical therapy for a while that kind of helped until I found yoga and meditation and breath work and psychedelics and healing and this, my hips feel fucking great. And they've never been more flexible, more open. And, but with opening my hips came releasing a lot of grief and shame. And um, it's, it's an emotional release as much as it is physical but it's a whole body, uh, body, mind, emotions all mixed up in it. And so I can see how sometimes taking these remedies or, or however you yep. outline it for a client, it might bring up emotions. It might bring up other things and it's, that's all part of it. And it's not a quick fix. No, it's yeah. not. And, and I love what you brought up about Western medicine. Cause I, I, I love explaining this to people is that what Western medicine does, and, and there's no doubt that it has value, right? It, you, I have a family member who has acute diabetes. At no point ever in their life do I want them to stop taking their insulin, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, Doug, you talked about acute, you know, you break your leg. Yes, go get it fucking fixed. Like there's no, there's no question about its role. When nope. it comes to things like chronic illness, it, it's very suppressive. So what Western medicine is is good at is making it stop whatever it is, right. And making the pain stop, making the, even sometimes the depression or the anxiety can make it stop. But here's what's amazing about our human bodies 
is they are very intelligent. And this is what I was talking about when I mentioned, you know, the intelligence of the Ibogaine and we've all seen it in our medicine journeys, right? Is our bodies are supremely brilliant and they are designed to process pathology that comes in, in the least invasive form to the organism. Mm. So what that means is it is going to take the safest approach to healing the person evacuating that pathology that it can. And often it starts with something like the skin because it's a lot can happen to our skin and we're not affected. We're still healthy. We're still whole. Right. Mm -hmm. But as soon as Western medicine comes in and goes, Oh, we have a solution for that. It's often a topical steroid, right. Or, or an oral steroid. We're going to make your skin problem go away. Well, now your body, your vital force, what we call it in homeopathy has said, well, you took out my least invasive path. Now I have to find another way. Western medicine calls that side effects. But what we know in homeopathy is that once you suppress skin, a person will then develop symptomology in one of two places, their lungs or their stomach, because that is the next layer of most expendable organ lungs, because you have two of them stomach, because your stomach can still do its job with even a tremendous amount of pathology activated Mm. in there. So, so now we go, okay, Now I'm going to throw some more medication at it because I'm having some new symptoms and it continues to go deeper and deeper into the body. In studying homeopathy, we have a trajectory of that illness where it goes deeper and deeper. It starts to go into the muscles, then the other organs, then the structures, then the brain, right? Loosely speaking, Uh when someone gets a good remedy and if they are off their suppressive medications, some crazy shit starts happening because they start getting symptoms that are those old suppressed symptoms. They start coming back. Here's what's interesting. When they're on a good remedy, they don't last very long and they're more tolerable. And this doesn't always happen. This only happens in certain cases, but what will happen is they happen in reverse order. So the stomach pain goes away. The breathing gets better. The skin rash might come back for a day, but then it's gone. What we're seeing is the body eradicate that pathology through its organic mechanisms. Yeah. And it's fascinating. to It's almost like an unwinding of it it all. Totally unwinding. And and the chronology is important when you're, when you're watching, if someone does happen to have a flare up, you're watching, are, are they, are we working backwards? Are we working in what we call a positive direction of cure? Are we going in the right direction with these symptoms? And again, they tend to be very light and brief if they show up at all. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, you're not seeing anything. And, and a lot of that has to do with dosing. Um, if you do see it, you just work with it and you say, look, this is your body getting rid of it, getting it out, and let's support your body through this process so that you can heal. Um, and a lot of this stuff that I learned about in clinic, I was very skeptical of, even though I had experienced it myself. Yeah. You you had that experience. (laughs) And I thought this can't really be how this stuff works. And yet I've seen it. I've seen it over and over again in my clients where they'll call and they'll go, I'm feeling really good, but I've got this old back pain that I haven't had in years. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Tell me about the back pain. And we have this conversation and the next thing we know it's gone and it's, it's not something that's going to come back because Mm -hmm. we've now pushed it out. And, and that's it, it. That's part of how homeopathy works. Is is you the idea with finding a remedy is that you match the state. We call it the state of the individual, and this includes everything from dreams to patterns of words that they use. Which sounds kind of weird, but if someone talks a lot about fighting and anger and rage, yeah. you might be thinking about an animal group of remedies. Where if someone talks about weeping and withering. You might be thinking about a plant group of remedies. 
So that's way oversimplified, but it gives you a sense of why those word choices or how they're showing up is important. Someone talks a lot with their hands and they're, you know, I have yeah. clients that make those faces and they're like, really <laughs> coming at you. And you're like, you're like, okay, you, you might be an animal remedy, right? Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, it, that's where I think people get a little woo-woo too with it, Doug, to be honest with you. People are like, no, that sounds a little messed up to me. And I'm like, look, it's way more technical than that. It, it's actually very <laughs> clinical, but, but that can be a fun part of the, of the investigation process is really digging in. And and the other thing I think is, you know, remedies are available over the counter. So a lot of times people go in, then they pick up a vial and they look at it and they go, oh, this says it's for runny nose. I have a runny nose. I'm going to take this remedy. Ah, yeah. The FDA requires the the, the homeopathic pharmacies to put something on that label, but that isn't actually how we prescribe. And I'll tell you that remedy if you've ever picked it up is, is Nat Mir that what we call the materia medica on Nat Mir is uh, could be anywhere from 20 to a hundred pages long, depending on what book you're looking at. So it does not address running noses. Mm. It addresses a number of things. One of which might be a symptom that expresses itself as a runny nose. So it's way more complicated than can be achieved by using the same approach that we use in Western medicine. Well, it feels to me like you're talking less about the symptoms. Well, I mean, the symptoms are an indicator. Yes. But you're trying yeah. to get a little bit deeper to like, what's the core? How's that manifesting at an emotional level or what's coming up in your life? So you can get to more like, yeah, a core of it. Yes. Then how is it expressing in this symptom in your body? A hundred percent. Like you could take the symptom of I can't sleep. Then you have someone who can't sleep because they have racing thoughts. Mm-hmm. You have someone who can't sleep because they have worries about money. You have someone who can't sleep because they just lost somebody close to them. Those are three different remedies, but the symptom is the same. I can't Mm -hmm. sleep. And so in that, in that analysis process, you get in and you go, okay, why, what's going on? That's preventing this person from sleeping. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's a whole, that's a whole path to go down right there. Cause like I, uh, I'm that, and it's because of racing thoughts It's because of rumination. Like I, I don't, I don't lay in bed, worry about, you know, like worry about money or I don't lay in bed thinking about like, oh, I'm sore or, oh, I'm worried about this. I just have an endless stream. It's like a radio station that you're just like, it's like a, like people are changing the station on the radio. And it's just Mm -hmm. like that thought, next thought, next thought, song in my head, next thought, another song in my head. And it's, so I would love, maybe we talk now or we talk offline about remedies for that shit. Well, I was wondering if you guys are both up to it. Maybe we can talk about Doug and uh, racing thoughts and nicotine. And I, yeah, we can talk about, hey, I don't know. Talk about, hey, there's much more involved than we can tackle on a podcast. <laughs> I wanted to do this. This is perfect. And what I will say is that a, a typical homeopathic intake is about two hours. And that sounds like a long time. It is. So, so we will just kind of scratch the surface a yeah. little bit. But also, I'll share this with you, Doug, because it's coming up for me. It's interesting. Um, one of the ways that Hahnemann, who is the gentleman who discovered homeopathy, and I just want to share the story because it's really, really interesting. He spoke 12 languages. He was a translator for medical materials back in the 1700s. And he was really appalled by a lot of the medical treatments. And he was especially appalled at the way physicians were treating the mentally ill. He felt that it was inhumane and that they were way off the mark in the cold water baths and all of the sort of things that they were doing to them. And it really bothered him. And in one of the translations, now at the time they were using something called quinine to treat malaria. And one of the translations had an explanation that quinine works to treat malaria because of its bitter flavor. And he said, this kind of feels like bullshit. And he was a healthy man and he started taking quinine. 
and he developed the symptoms of malaria. And this was a huge light bulb for him because he said, wait a minute, something is happening here. And so what he started to do, keeping in mind that in the 1700s, people were either healthy or sick. Now we sort of, everybody sort of has some semblance of sickness, right? Mm -hmm. But back in his day, he could get healthy people. And what he would have them do is journal for at least three weeks on their physical, like their food cravings, any physical symptoms, their dreams, and their mental emotional state. And then he would give them a substance. He wouldn't tell them what it was. And it was a reduced substance. He would grind these substances down to barely noticeable traces, right? And he would give them small doses of the substance until they said, okay, wait a minute, something's happening. I'm starting to develop (laughs) symptoms, right? And then he would have them catalog across those same categories and he would compare. So the reason I say that is because Western medicine doesn't do that. But he would say, oh, I'm not taking these headaches into account as a result of this this substance because you had headaches before. So we're we're crossing Mm. that out. Mm. We don't include headaches. So he was very careful about discerning what symptoms were coming out of what he called these provings, giving people these substances. Mm. And we see provings today because if people take a lot of a substance, nicotine, they may be playing out a homeopathic proving of that substance. So there's a good chance that a remedy that you need is in the nicotine family or might be a you know a result of you're doing a nicotine proving because one of the one of the elements of that remedy is racing thoughts. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting like if you look at the if you look at the material we call it the materia medica again describes what a remedy does. Um if you look at the materia medica for cannabis indica I probably don't even have to tell you what's in there. Drowsy affect. <laughs> time is is weird. Um, dry mouth and sticky saliva. Increased appetite. Yeah. Uh, lethargy, but great ideas, inability to follow them through. I mean, it's like, that sounds comical, but when they proved... That doesn't sound comical to me at all. That sounds like dead on. Yeah. Right. Right. When they proved cannabis indica, people didn't know what smoking weed did. It was a separate substance. So it's like we see these. Coffee is another one. Coffee. We see a lot of think about. I mean, probably a lot of us who drink coffee live out a coffee proving every day. That remedy is common for GI upset, anxiety, racing thoughts is another one. Inability to sleep, shaking Mm, and deliciousness and deliciousness. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So yeah, t- tell me about your, 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 when did your difficulty sleeping start? Well, long before nicotine. So my, my difficulty sleeping started in my teenage years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll, I'll come clean. I, to this day, take basically a, a horse tranquilizer, um, like a, a cocktail at night to sleep. I try to get off it. Um, I, I try to do other things to help me sleep. I try to meditate. I try to cal- calm my, and, and then at four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, I'm still laying there. Just like the thing won't shut off. Like the, 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 the brain won't shut off. So that's been going on since I can remember my teenage years. Does it race during the day? Yes. So it races all the time. Well, yeah, but I do have that affliction where I can, I can feel quite sleepy and quite tired and then going to bed, you know, and I've done all the things like I've been part of sleep studies. I've done all of, I've done all of the things, you know, the thing about like, don't use your bed for anything. 
but sleep. No reading, no sex, no uh, watching TV, no screens, nothing. I, I've done all the shit. And I don't want to give my specific cocktail on over the over yeah. the thing. But the thing that has worked for me and changed my life, quite frankly, um, has been getting solid sleep. Um, I, I used to li- I used to live on two to three hours of sleep every single night. And now I, now I rely on eight hours of sleep. Yeah. And that's, a but big I get it, I, but I get it through drugs. Yeah. That's a big quality of life change though. Sleep is really, really Huge. important as you know. Yeah. Huge. A fundamental, I'm sure you feel very different. That, night and day different. Mm-hmm. I've talked on the podcast before about my suicide ideation. That, that is a direct reflection from lack of sleep. Like it, Anyway, I don't want to get into all that, but yeah, that's so sleep has been a problem for me for, uh, I guess, 25 years. Mm, Wow. And so my next question as a homeopath, and if we were doing a full consult would be what was going on in your teenage years? All shame all the time. Yeah. All guilt all the time. Yeah. All not living up to expectations and having Mm -hmm. to hide that I wasn't like having to print, having to pretend that I was living up to expectations and then just burying inside that I was not living up to expectations according to the way I viewed how I was experiencing life. Mm. And where were those expectations coming from? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) I mean, God, like, uh, you know, God and my, my mom and dad who are the same entity, by the way, God, my mom and dad, my neighbors, friends, parents, like, I felt, I honestly felt like when I I honestly felt like I was letting everybody down by not becoming president of the United States when I was 16 years old, even though legally you can't become president of the United States until you're 35. I thought I was letting everybody down by not being an astronaut who uh, walked on the moon, became president and cured cancer. It's, it's incredible. And, and with my homeopathic brain, and I'm, I'm very mindful that this is a podcast because where we would take this, we would, we would go down those roads because there's something in the, the pressure and the relationship dynamics in those situations that will help illuminate what, what remedy would be the most helpful. And and we would go down, I mean, any number of roads, but it really, it, that stuff really is important because what happens is, and this is part of the homeopathic training. As I'm taking your case, I'm watching your affect. I'm watching when your face changes. I'm watching if the color in parts of your face changes while you talk about certain things. I noticed that your body language, you had some very dramatic body language where you were talking about those expectations. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's part of the case, right? That's part of what I'm capturing. Um, I'm also capturing um, the direction that your eyes go, how you're wearing your hair. I mean, the fact that you took your hair out and you flipped it to the side, that's all part of what I'm, I'm noticing because that's giving me information about what's happening internally in you as you're reflecting on these experiences and as they relate to how your soma, your body is expressing its processing of, of these symptoms. You know, what's so cool about that. God damn. We've been talking about deepening into the, what you mm-hmm. were just, as you're observing Doug there, 
you're dip, you're not like, you're just like, what is happening with it? Like, what, how is he expressing? Mm-hmm. What's, you know, how's he, you're deeping in it. You're, you're doing it. Oh, oh yeah, she's actively like, doing it. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I'm in the essence. That's the thing. When you, when you're looking at a case, it's it, you, the analysis of the case is clinical, right? It's, it's, what are the symptoms? What makes them better or worse? When are they better or worse? What foods do they crave? How do they present? One of my favorite questions, and I ask this in pretty much every case, is if you say, let's say you said, um, I get headaches, right? And I would say, describe your headaches or describe what you would have to do to me to make me feel your headaches. So now it's no longer, I have a headache. It's, I would have to put a vice on your temples and squeeze it but the left side would be tighter than the right side. And I'm like, okay, now I have a description of the headache that I can use and clinically take to the material to find a remedy that has sharp pains in the temple's left side worse, right? And, and that's how specific some of this stuff gets when we're taking wow. these. Yeah, and and that's where for me, it gets really compelling is when I, I had a client a couple of weeks ago, she said, my daughter's got this new symptom. It's so weird. She said the top of her head hurts like someone's pulling her hair. I don't know what to tell her. I had been looking at this remedy for her daughter. I went back and looked at it and it said pain on top of head as if someone pulling hair. Boom, almost verbatim. It was like, it still amazes me after 10 years when I find something that specific in the material that matches exactly what's coming out of a client's mouth. And there are several cases like that, that are, they blow me away and there's no way to memorize. I mean, there's over a hundred thousand remedies. So there's no way to memorize this stuff. And I live and breathe in these just tomes of information that have been collected over the last, you know, since the 1700s on a lot oh. of these remedies. Yeah. Now there are newer remedies. There are remedies made from the psychedelic medications. There's ayahuasca, there's there's um, MDMA, there's psilocybin mushrooms. I'm working to have an official proving and a remedy made from 5-MeO-DMT. Oh, wow. um, and there will be others, I'm sure. I'd be uh-huh. probably as well. But right now, 5-MeO-DMT is my priority. But it's it's endlessly fascinating to me because there's every single person becomes a well of opportunity of understanding and capturing their essence. I can see. I can see you just like kind of light up talking about mm-hmm. it. And yeah, passion. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. And we, where it's very different than therapy or coaching or anything like that. Cause a lot of times in homeopathy, our job is to remain stoic because we have to be objective. If we lose our objectivity, we're no longer an effective homeopath because we're not able to discern effectively the nuanced elements of the case. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is we, I forgot what I was going to say. We have to be objective and, oh, shoot. Dang it. I know you can edit that out so you can fix it, but I lost what I was going to say. I mean, we, I don't, I don't want I don't want to edit it out. Do you, I mean, honestly, (laughs) like, I love it. Like I'm literally hiding back here, by the way. Do you notice that I'm like now hiding from you? Cause I can hear you talking about like all my movements and facial expressions and shit. (laughs) No, I didn't mean to freak you out. It's like, no, I'm not freaked out. I'm not, I'm not freaked out. I love it. We (laughs) ask, we ask why. Right. We ask why a lot. You say, oh, well, I did this. And we go, well, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. A therapist can't ask you why. They teach you that. And, th- you know, I have my degree in psychology as well. And they say, don't ask why. It's, it sounds like it's being judgmental. We're not being judgmental. We're trying to understand what's going on in the mind of the patient and dreams, right? We don't interpret dreams. And I was, oh, Doug had that dream because blah, blah, blah. No, it just becomes information that, you know, any number of remedies have really interesting patterns of dreams in them. And so I say, okay, Doug tends to have dreams about falling off a cliff and I'm trying to differentiate between a few remedies. And one of them has dreams about falling off a cliff. 
that might be that might be a remedy that is a good fit and and will help those dreams shift. So are okay. Well, so uh, Heather, I guess we we could probably keep talking about this all night, but I'm I'm curious if there are things like if there are tools or if there are things that someone listening right now like is there something that they can apply like is there something that they can take with them from this recording can they can they take it to the next time they're meditating can they can they put it into practice if they're using psychedelics can they are there things that people can do right now while they're listening that will help them identify some of these things or from a from a homeopathic sort of like framework because you said like hundred thousand hundreds of thousands of remedies and causes and symptoms and all that kind of stuff like no one's going to be able to be like okay well i'm just driving my car and here are all of my here are all of my symptoms that i'm going to like just list off they, they come up they come up as they come up right right yeah and and here's one of the other like beautiful no it's great it's great okay. i love it and this is one of the things that i'm most excited about um, in the homeopathic and psychedelic space, and I'm building a community of homeopathic and psychedelic providers, um, homeopathics work in psychedelic journeys. So mm. for people who may be journeying, um, you know, not with a provider or with friends, or maybe you're the, what do they call like the sitter, you know, you're, um, there are some remedies that may be good to have on hand. And some of them are available at like your local health food store. Um, and they come in these little blue vials. They're in the vitamin department. And some health food stores carry a 30C. You'll know what that means when you look at the bottle. It says 30C on it. Um, and some of them carry a 200C. If you can get the 200C, it's better. Um, but Arnica is a good one. There's Arnica? An, Arnica. Yeah, Arnica okay. Montana. Um, that's good for any trauma, but it can help in a medicine state. If someone is experiencing a revisitation of trauma that becomes problematic for them while in the psychedelic medicine. Mm. So they feel that they are re-experiencing it and it is harming them in some way. Um, I've seen this in um, psilocybin, unfortunately, multiple times where a physical trauma is being revisited on the body and they're in a lot of pain. Mm. The Arnica may help take the edge off of that. Um, another one is, isn't the only one, but it's called stramonium. And this is a remedy for terror. This is the essence of this remedy is think of a small child lost in the woods in the dark. And they know there are things in the woods. Think of the fear of that child. That is the mm. essence of this remedy. And if we think about certain psychedelic journeys where people become terrified and they lose contact with their ability to ground against I'm here and I'm okay, um, that stramonium might be a good one to have on hand to help them come back and be able to ground. So it doesn't stop anything in its tracks. It doesn't change what the psychedelic is doing. It helps the person manage the intensity of the experience when the intensity is too much for the environment. And those were just very general examples. I mean, this is a very kind of delicate art, but I do want to let people know that this may be an area that is of interest if you're if you're interested or, or spend a lot of time with psychedelics, it, it may be worth learning more about homeopathy, not just for during, but some of the more common before and after mm -hmm. remedies as well. 
So stramonium and arnica. Is that am I saying those right? Yep. Because I'm I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Same. Arnica is a good one for um if you're seeing the trauma over and over and over again. Yeah. Um arnica can help break that cycle. Mm. God damn, this has been so so Heather, thank you for tonight. And I wish that I was hanging with the two of you and we could just keep chatting offline. But how can people support you, send you money, get in, in touch with you, get, you know, like book a session with you? Like how can people find you? Yeah, my website is transformwithheather.com. And you'll see me right there on the landing page. And there's a contact link on there. And and I do coaching. I do psychedelic integration. Um, I do Reiki in person um, and I offer homeopathy. And a lot of my clients are a hybrid of those services. And it's all based on what the individual wants, what their goals are, what they're seeking. And um, I, I I love it. I absolutely love all of it. And so feel free to reach out with questions or any other, um, any other points of contact. Well, Heather, I, I've loved this and I love you. Hey. And I love that. Like, I, I just love that. Um, We've been connected and uh love. I'm having a hard time using my words today. I don't know what's Dude, going on. We I love you, love Heather. This. Thank you. I we think love you. We, we fucking love you. Thank <laughs> you for this. Thank you. I, this has been amazing. I really enjoy both of you very much. And this has just been so thought-provoking. And I really appreciate the time and, and being with both of you and our conversations. Yeah. 